It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. Uh, we've been walking through over the last couple of weeks this idea of life in the Word, and I want to dive into this idea of love uh, this evening. And even just to set the tone, I want to talk about four different kinds of love uh, that we find in the Greek. Uh, I've talked about this before, but uh, Greek is a very deep language, where English is a very thin language. In other words, we have one word for the word love, we have the word like, but we really have only one word for the word love, and we use it in a variety of variety of ways, right? Like, I love my goldfish, uh, I, I love my... Uh, I love ice cream, I love God, you know, all those kind of things. And I presume that if someone says, I love my spouse, they don't mean it in the same way they love their goldfish, you know, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, or uh, hopefully I don't love ice cream the same level that I love God. But we only have one word to describe all that. But in Greek, it's really fascinating. There's actually four different words to clarify what we mean. So just want to go over them really quickly and then look at two of them uh, in particular. One is the word eros, which is where we get the word erotica from. It's this idea of sensual or sexual kind of love, uh, and uh, in, at least in our context. And by the way, there's a good version of this, right? There's a twisted version, but there is a good version in the context of marriage. Uh, there's another one, storge, which is this idea of familiar love. It's this idea of family love. Uh, blood is thicker than water idea. It's this idea of close association. Um, there's that kind of love. Uh, so the love that you would have for a family member, there's this you know, I, I know them so well, there's a close connection, and there's just this deep love and affection for them. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's that word. Then there's the two I actually want to focus on. There's the phileo word, which is where we have this idea of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It comes from this word, phileo. And then there's the word agape or agape, which is, if, if I'm going to translate it, it's going to be unconditional love. Uh, sometimes we describe it as God's love, which is true, uh, but I want to point out why that's a little hard in some passages. So there's these four different words for the word love, and I want to, again, just zoom in on phileo and agape or agape. So when you look at agape, most of us, when we heard that term, especially if you've grown up in the church, agape is that term that is often used as like the greatest of the loves, and it probably is. Um, and just as a sense of definition, Agape is an unconditional love. It's not connected with emotions or affections. And in a godly sense, it is concerned with seeking the welfare and the betterment of another, regardless of, one health, regardless of how one feels. In other words, if I'm going to agape you, and I wake up in the morning and I'm like, Ugh, I don't feel like it, that, that's not in consideration. Agape still says, I'm going to pour my life out. I'm going to bleed, suffer, and die. Hey, I'm going to showcase the reality of Christ to you. Now, again, we use this in the sense of God's love. And I think that's, I think that's a fair statement, especially in the New Testament, because the New Testament writers packaged the word uh, agape with the concept of, of God's unconditional love. However, the danger with that is that there are a few passages where that gets awkward. So let me just show you one. So in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is in the Nicodemus context, Jesus says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and men agaped the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So if you translate agape as God's love, that passage gets awkward. 
But what it's meaning is, do you realize that here's Jesus who is the light. He has come into the world and he says, do you realize that they've rejected the light? Why? Because they have so embraced the darkness, they unconditionally love darkness. And if you look at the world today, that is a true statement. Do you realize that it does not matter what sin does to a person? It does not matter how much pain, does not matter how much chaos it brings. Most of the world refuses to let go of their sin. Why? Because they just, oh, they just love it. That there's this unconditional, hey, you can do what you want with me. And I'm, hey, I'm not going to let go of that kind of a love for darkness. And Jesus says, yeah, that, that's, that's the world. And I think it's beautiful in contrast to that idea, right? This unconditional love for darkness. A few verses earlier is the statement that I, my assumption is we've all memorized, right? Because it's probably the first one after Genesis 1-1 that we memorize. But in John three sixteen, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who, who, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So there's this incredible contrast. Light has come into the world why? Because that light, Jesus, has overwhelmingly loved the world. And he's going to bleed, suffer, and die on behalf of the world. And yet, what is the world doing? The world is grabbing a hold of their darkness. And in the same way that God loves us, we are clinging to our darkness and refusing, no matter what sin does to us, refusing to let go of that. I just think is interesting. Now, as, again, as we talk about agape, I think the reason why it's known as the God's love is not just the John 3.16, but it really comes from 1 John chapter 4. So listen to what John says. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, he says, Beloved, let us agape one another, for agape is from God, and everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows, gnosko, God. And the one who does not agape does not know or gnosko God because, and here's the statement, God is love. And by this, the agape of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And isn't it an incredible thought that God doesn't merely just have agape love, he is agape love, that this is so central to his nature that when you get to the very heart of true agape love, you can't, you can't separate him from the reality of that genuine love, which again, we're not talking emotion, we're talking about a person that is self-sacrificing, that, that, that you know, is, is this unconditional kind of a love where you can beat him, you can scourge him, you can hang him on a cross, and yet he's still going to pour forth his love for you. You can't earn this. You can't get rid of this. This is, this is his unconditional, overwhelming agape love, which is phenomenal. So please contain your excitement. So all growing up, I've always heard the idea that agape is the greatest of the loves. That, 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 I mean, this is the, this is the pinnacle of God, God's love. And that's probably true. However, when you get into this idea of phileo, I actually, in one sense, I think it actually may be a greater love than even agape. Again, phileo is this brotherly kind of love. And this is what one Greek-English dictionary describes phileo as. It is to have a special interest in someone or something, frequently with focus on close association or having affection for, like considering someone a friend. Here's, here's the reason I think it could be a greater love. There is a lot of people, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, there are some people in my life that I genuinely love but I don't necessarily like. 
And I don't know if that makes sense to you. But I realize that, that God loves me. I know he loves me, but he can't help himself but love me. And I can't earn it. I can't get rid of this. So I'm not concerned. Does God love me? Of course he loves me. The question I'm really interested in is, but does God like me? Because again, there are people in my life that I love, but don't necessarily, like I have family members that I genuinely love. I, I, would, I would do anything for them. I, I would bleed, suffer, and die on their behalf, but I do not want to go on vacation with them. I love them. I really do love them, but I don't necessarily like them. You know? And that's not a, it's not a, it's not a statement. And if they're listening, I apologize. But, but the reality is, you know what I'm talking about? So it's interesting. You do know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't look at me that way. It's interesting then as we come into scripture, I know God loves me, but my real question is, but does God actually like me? See, I've always had this idea that, you know, okay, God's going to have to love me. So it doesn't matter what I do. He'll, he'll pour forth his love. But when I wake up in the morning, my alarm goes off. Does he look at me and go, oh, bummer. Uh, you, know, you know what, just, just hit snooze a couple of times, give me another, just give me some rest, you know, and I just need another breath, you know. Like, is, is, that, is that how God sees me? And do you realize, without, without question, the Bible says that's not how God sees you. Because it's not only that God loves you, he actually likes you. He wants to spend time with you. In fact, I, I've used this illustration with the students before. Um, I am convinced personally uh, that the reason that God gave me TB uh, a tiny bladder uh, is because, is, <laughs> which is now awkward, but, uh, but it's because God delights to spend time with me. Because inevitably, I have to get up at least once, I'm getting older now, so twice sometimes. Uh, when I was in Wisconsin this last week, I had so much water, it was probably three to four times every night. I, I mean, it was just ridiculous. And I have such a small bladder that, man, I have to get up in the middle of the night. But I have come to the conclusion, I think God did that purposely because he likes me. <laughs> because you realize I fall asleep and, and it's not that God goes, oh, finally, whew, I can have a breath. I can understand a parent saying that about most kids, right? That their kids go to bed and it's like, oh, we finally have peace and quiet. But, but God will never say that. See, the moment you fall asleep, God goes, oh, how much longer do you, you know, like, come on, come on, come on. And, and there's just this anticipation. And so, again, I'm, I'm convinced the reason I have TB is because God's standing there by, you know, just like, oh, wake up, 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 wake up. <laughs> and I have to get up and I, and I go spend time with him before the throne. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's powerful. Anyway, <clears throat> maybe we should cut this out of the recording. <laughs> so as, all that to say, I, as I ponder the love of God, I, I'm actually thinking that though God agapes us, and that, in, in that sense, it truly is the greatest of loves, I really think, in a sense, phileo could be even greater because God doesn't have to phileo you. He wants to phileo you. Isn't that beautiful? I was wrestling with this some time ago, and I came across this phenomenal passage because, again, I was wrestling with this idea, is, does God actually like me? Does, does he actually want to be my friend? And then I came across this passage. Listen, this, is, this is so cool to me. John chapter 5, verse 20. Listen to what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, oh, the father phileos the son. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is looking at his relationship with the father and he says, Whoa, do you realize what I have with my father? My father loves me, but we're best friends, folks. That man, we are tight. Man, we just, we just love hanging out. Have you ever had a best friend like that where you, you don't even have to say anything? It's just you feel comfortable just being quiet next to each other, that there, you just know each other's thoughts, that there's this like this Jonathan and, and, and David kind of a thing. It, it's, you know, it's the bosom buddies of Anna Green Gables or whatever you want to call it, right? That there's this, there's this sweetness, there's this richness of friendship, there's this, and there's just this camaraderie that happens. And Jesus says, that's what I have with my dad. That the, way that the way that my father feels about me, he loves me. I know he loves me. But wow, we are tight. And I am wrapped up in friendship with the father. Now, I came across that and I was like, whoa, is that special to Jesus? Because it's Jesus. So in other words, is this a special thing that Jesus got in on it, in on, or is this something that we all get to participate in? And do you know what scripture reveals? God actually wants to be your friend. That he actually wants to share, he wants you to share in his life. And let me just give you a few passages. I love these. These are so amazing to me. In 2 Chronicles 20 verse 7, it says, Did you not, O our God, dispossess the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the seed? Now listen, who did God give it to? Abraham. And then here's the statement. Abraham your friend forever. Could you imagine the, the, here the Israelites looking back at the time of Abraham saying, do you know what Abraham had with Yahweh? Abraham and Yahweh were tight. They were like best friends. They were bosom buddies. They, they were Jonathan, David, knit in the soul kind of stuff. And the way that God saw Abraham was that Abraham was his friend. Or look at this one in Isaiah 41, verse 8. God is speaking, and he says, Abraham, my friend. Or in James, James is looking back and quoting the Old Testament passages. But James says that the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Wouldn't it be neat if you were called the friend of God? And by the way, that, that was not exclusive to Abraham because you come into Exodus and Moses had this. In Exodus 33, it says that it happened whenever Moses entered into the tent, this was the tent of meeting, that the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and Yahweh would speak with Moses. Thus, get this, Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend then Moses would return to the camp and his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, never departed from that. Isn't that an amazing thought? And who is Moses? Moses was having a relationship with God as a friend. Uh, as, as you come into Exodus chapter 20, uh, it's interesting that the same thing that God had with Moses seems to be the very same thing he wanted with all of Israel. And, and you, you know the situation. This is right after the Ten Commandments. And it, it says that all the people perceived or saw that the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And, the, and as the people perceived it, they shook and stood at a distance. And then listen to this. They said to Moses, 
speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us lest we die. So, so think about this. God gives the Ten Commandments and then they see all the mountain who's you know, smoking and thundering and lightning and shaking all this stuff. And the indication in the passage, when you look at the context, is that God actually wanted to speak to the Israelites face to face. That, that the same thing that he had with Moses is the same thing he wanted with all of Israel. But all of Israel was looking at what God was doing on the mountain. And in fear, it's like they stepped back, took Moses and pushed Moses forward and said, uh, you go up there. And whatever he tells you, we will obey. But we, we don't, hey, we're, no. But wouldn't it have been amazing had the Israelites said, all right, that, that's intimidating. We get that, but I want it. And I'm willing to have the very same thing, even though I may be trembling, I want the same thing that Moses had. And you realize it was actually available to the Israelites. Now, as you fast forward, right, 1,500 years, you're now at the time of Jesus. And it's interesting, Jesus had these 12 disciples and, and he calls them friends, that they had these best buddies. And even amongst the best buddies, he had three that were really best buddies. One of them happened to be Peter. And you know the story, at the time of crucifixion, Peter denies Jesus three times. And eventually the disciples went back up to the Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus rose from the dead. And there's this incredible scene in John chapter 21 where they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is on the, on the shore. They don't recognize it's Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, catch anything? And they're like, nope, been out all night. And Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. And so, you know, Peter throws it on the other side and it says they had so many fish, they couldn't carry it in. And, and, and I think it's John who looks and says, it's, it's the Lord. And Peter leaves the work, you know, which I would do too. Uh, he left the work, jumped out of the boat and, and ran over and got to the shore. And, and I love this scene here. They've been fishing all day or fishing all night. And Jesus is, is on the shore. He has the fire going. The fish is already cooking, which is awesome, <laughs> which means they didn't have to go fish. And you got to realize that in this culture, to be invited into a meal was a sign of friendship. Like just, just the invitation itself was an invitation, uh, an invitation to friendship. So if you can imagine, here's Peter who has denied Jesus three times and he's in all the shame and he's in all this agony and he's in all this guilt. And just the fact that he's being invited by Jesus to the fire, do you realize it, it's, a, it's an invitation to friendship? And, and while they're sitting there, let me read you this. This is profound to me. In John 21, verses 15 through 17, it says that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, when we read it in the English, it uses the word love, and rightly so, but we miss the emphasis of the entire passage. Now, Jesus is going to ask the question three times. And again, a lot of scholars suggest that the three times are parallel to the three times that, that Peter denied Jesus. And you can do whatever you want with all that. And, and I'm skipping the whole feed my sheep thing. I'm taking that out of the passage because I just want to focus on the verbiage itself. So, but listen to this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do, do you agape me more than these? And Peter said to Jesus, well, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Okay, pause. Was that the question? No. Here's Jesus saying, Peter, do, do you unconditionally, I mean, without reserve, do you love me? Now, we know the answer to that. Peter denied him. So here's Jesus saying, hey, Peter, do you unconditionally love me? And Peter responds back, well, come on, Jesus, we're buddies. 
And so Jesus asks, asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do, do you agape me? And, and look, look, look again at what Peter says. He says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So then look at what Jesus does. So Jesus said to him a third time, okay, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? And it says that Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. So, so, so get the flow here. Here's Peter. He denied him three times. And Jesus invites him over to a meal and says, hey, Peter, Peter, I got a question for you. Do you, do you unconditionally, unequivocally, do, I mean, do, you, do, you, do you love me? Well, come on, Jesus, we're buddies. Peter, do you unconditionally, without reserve, do you agape me? Well, I mean, come on, Jesus, we're, we're friends. So then Jesus flips it. Peter, Peter, are we friends? And it says that Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time. And, and maybe he was grieved because, you know, it was, he had asked the question three times. Maybe so. But I really think the reason Peter is grieved in the passage, in the context, is because Jesus is questioning the friendship. And Jesus says, Peter, do we actually have relations? Come on, Peter, are we actually best buds? I mean, come on, Peter, are we actually tight? And I love what Peter says, Jesus, you know all things. I mean, I mean, come on, Jesus, you know we're, we're, we're tight. I mean, come on, Jesus, we're best buds, aren't we? Wouldn't it be neat if we had that with Jesus? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if the same thing that Abraham had and the same thing that, that Moses had, wouldn't it be amazing if that was available to us? And it's not just that God loves us, he does love us, but wouldn't it be amazing if he actually likes us too? That he actually wants to spend time with us? That that he actually wants to just grow in relationship and friendship? And So really really quick, just to tie this all together, I want to talk really quick, give you three ideas with this idea of what does it mean to have friendship with the living God? Again, we're talking about life in the word. What does it mean to live in the reality of Christ and his word? So coming out of this, I just want to give you three ideas, and you can see all of them in John chapter 15. But I just want to just kind of do a high-level view of this. Number one is this idea of communion. What does it mean to have friendship with God? There's this idea of communion associated. Uh, In John 15, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And and that's, that's true about us as disciples, but ultimately, do you recognize that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And yet we were not friends. We were actually enemies. I, I, love, I love what Luke 7 verse 34 says. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are all, all bent out of shape. And they say the son of, or uh, Jesus is responding because they're, they're accusing him of eating with sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus says, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you realize that Jesus embraces that moniker? That Jesus says, that is who I am. I am actually the one who befriends the ones who don't deserve it. That you don't have to clean yourself up to get to Jesus. He wants you. Isn't that an amazing reality? That I don't have to fix all my problems to come to Jesus. I come to Jesus and then he will fix all my problems. And he, ref- he loves me so much that he refuses to leave me the way that I am. But he's willing to embrace and accept me just the way that I am. And we could sing all 837 choruses or verses of just as I am. 
But, but do you recognize that, and I don't know how many there really are, but, but do you realize that he loves sinners? In fact, he's willing to befriend them. Uh, he says in Mark 2, 17, that those who are healthy do not need a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. So as Paul says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That here I am shaking my fist in rebellion in his face. And yet he says, I'm actually willing to look past the rebellion and I want you as my friend. And so what did he do? He came and died for me. And there is no greater love than this that one lays down his life for his friends. Do you know what Jesus is after? He wants buddies. He wants friends. He wants relationship. He he is zealous for you. And he's willing to redeem you out of the pit of hell. And he's willing to get rid of all the darkness. Why? Because he wants relationship. He wants you to experience life in his name. He, he, He wants to have friendship with you. Is that not profound? I think that's beautiful. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship or companionship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know what you're called into? Relationship, friendship, companionship. He wants to be your friend. Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is king. And we do need to bow our knees. But do you realize, as Isaiah says, he is the lover of your soul. That he rejoices over you like a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. That he just, he just delights in you. He just, he, just, he just is madly in love with you. He, just, he doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants to go on vacation with you. He wants to wake you up in the morning with TB. Why? Because he just wants more time with you. That's good news, folks. I want to come back really quick. I read this passage just a moment ago about Moses, but listen, listen this, is so, this is so profound. This, this was a new aha for me this last summer uh, during the alumni summit. I was reading this and I had this epiphany of a Christophany and I was like, no, why did I, I mean, I've never, I, I don't know how I missed this before, but it's so beautiful. In that whole scene where Moses goes to the tent of meeting to meet with God, it says that Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp and his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And I had this thought. I was like, do you know how cool this is? Moses is a picture of the first. He's a picture of the old covenant. Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus, is a picture of the new. And do you realize that in the old covenant, the relationship was so good that Yahweh would meet with Moses face to face. But then Moses would leave. It was a pop-in, pop-out kind of thing with, with God. But do you realize that in the new covenant, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and you can be face-to-face just like Joshua was who just lived in this thing? Isn't that a beautiful thought? That because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can have constant communion and intimacy and relationship with the living God and never leave out of it. That's awesome. So there's this idea of communion uh, number two, there's this idea of correction. That what does it mean to have friendship with God? Do you realize that there's an element of correction in this? In John 15, verse 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. In other words, we must come under his authority. We must come under the, the, the word of God and actually obey that which he says. There's this incredible passage in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus is talking to the Laodiceans, who are not a healthy church. But he says this, 
Those whom I phileo, those whom I love, those to, in whom I'm in friendship with, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Do you know what Jesus is saying? That if, that if we're tied, if we are best friends, I will bring correction in your life. But you recognize that God is not a mean, nasty God ready to stomp on your head and flick you into the abyss. Burn, baby, burn, right? That, that what God is wanting to do is he wants to bring correction, but bring correction as a friend. Uh, in other words, uh, imagine I see something in Philip's life that shouldn't be there. Now, I'm a friend with Philip, so what would I do? Well, I'm going to go down to his house, I'm going to knock on his door. And you know what I'm going to do? He's going to open up the door, and I'm going to have a baseball bat. And I'm going to say, you need to repent. I'm seeing stuff in your life which is totally wrong, it's against scripture, you need to repent. And if you don't, no, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down to his house. I'm going to knock on his door. And he's going to open it up. And along the way, I have built this whip. Je this is biblical. Jesus did this. And I'm going to stand there with my whip. And I'm going to say, you need to repent and cast all that stuff out of your life. Or I'm, I'm bringing. No, of course I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down to his house. I'm going to bang on his door. And my knees are going to be buckled. My shoulders are going to be stooped. There's going to be tears in my eyes. My hat's going to be my hand. I'm going to say, buddy, I don't know if you recognize what, what's going on in your life, but man, you, you can't keep living this way. Man, you're going to have to repent. And, and I'm going to treat him as a friend. I'm not going to punch his face. Do you realize that when Jesus brings correction in your life, he's not going to stomp on your head. He's going to treat you as a friend. Now, there, there's still discipline involved. There's still consequence involved. And that still hurts, <laughs> just for clarity's sake. But do you realize that he's not some mean, nasty God waiting to stomp on your head? That he will bring correction. And if you are quick to repent, then you don't need a lot of correction. If you refuse to repent, the correction gets tougher and tougher and tougher until you repent. But if you have a soft heart and you're quick to repent, you realize he won't, he won't get... He, uh, when my parents were disciplining, disciplining me, it didn't matter what we did, the response was, go get the spatula. And of course, you'd have to go get your own torture device, right? And bring it back and hand it over. And, and they'd say, bend over. And you would cry before you even got hit. And do you realize that the Lord doesn't do that? He, he will discipline only to that which is necessary. Why? Because he's your friend. And it is interesting in, in the passage, the word uh, reprove means to expose, right? Discipline means to like teach or to correct or, 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 to, or to discipline. And so what he's saying is, hey, if we're, if we're best friends, do you want to do in your life? I'm going to really expose the truth in your life, and I'm going to actually bring about a correction so that you're actually walking in the way that, you're ought, that you ought to walk. That's encouraging to me, folks, that, that, I, that I can trust his correction in my life. Why? Because he's going to treat me as a friend. So there, again, there's this idea of communion in, in my relationship with God. There's this idea of correction in my relationship with God. And lastly, there's this idea of communication. I think this is interesting. In John 15, verse 15, in that same context of the, of the love thing, he says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you realize that there's an element in the friendship with God where you get invited into the inner circle? That, that somehow the, the communication that Jesus and the Father has, he says, I'm going to share that with you. I think that's rich. I don't know what to do with it, but I think that's beautiful. So all that to say is this. Do you recognize that we all have a choice? 
And the choice is this, that we'll either grow in our friendship with the world or we're going to grow in our friendship with the living God. How does does friendship grow? By spending time with them, by becoming like them. And and James says this in James 4.4, he says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world sets himself as an enemy of God. Do you realize that if you want to live like the world, you can, but you'll never have closeness with the living God. And if you want to have rich intimacy with the living God, it's going to pull you out from having friendship with the world. And I think that's convicting in my life because where am I spending my time? Where, where, am, I, where am I placing my thoughts? And just like if I'm going to grow in my friendship, I need to hang out with and, and get to know and, and spend time with because that deepens and enriches, enriches the, the friendship. Do you realize that if I live in the world and think like the world and, and spend time in the world and, and get in, engrossed in the world, that I am becoming friends with the world rather than the living God. And yet the living God is extending relationship, saying, I, I want, I, I purchased you. I, I want friendship with you. I, I want life with you. I want to be your friend, but I have to choose. I read this earlier, but wouldn't it be phenomenal, as James 2.23 says, that Abraham believed, put his faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God? Wouldn't it be amazing if at the end of your life, when someone's writing about you, the end conclusion is, wow, we could say a lot about your life, but the one thing I really want to highlight on your gravestone is, God and them were tight. They were best friends. That as they were walking in faith, as they were walking in obedience, as they were living by his righteousness, he or she was a friend of God. I I want to be known for that. I don't don't want to be known as someone who has all the information but doesn't have the relationship. I want to live in the reality of, of, of Jesus. And maybe just as a practical, this is what Tozier says, He says, it is well that we accept the hard truth now. The man who would know God must give time to him. He must count no time wasted, which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. If you want to grow in your friendship with God, you're going to have to spend time with him. So why don't we just pray for that? That that God would deepen our, our friendship, our life in the living God. Lord, we... We thank you that you are not some God way out there and we're just trying to appease you, but that you have come and rescued and purchased us because you want relationship with us. And Lord, I do thank you for your love. I I thank you that you unconditionally love us, that we can't earn it, we can't get rid of it, that you truly agape us because that is who you are. But Lord, I am just, I am overwhelmed by the reality that You don't just love me, you like me. And you want that friendship to grow and to deepen and to get richer. And as Tozer says, Lord, the only way that's going to happen is when I spend time with you. That that somehow I need to let go of my friendship with the world and seek after and pursue friendship with you. Lord, thank you that it's possible, but Lord, would you do something in me? Would you, would you cause a yearning, a hunger, a passion to grow that I just, I have to know you more. Lord, I truly do want to have life in the word. I want to have friendship with the living God. 
We love you. Just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.